Welcome back, podcast listeners. Episode 62 today. Tony, it's just you and I, but we're talking something that's pretty interesting, market updates. Yes, it's been, uh, it's been something that a lot of people have been looking at and wanting for the last uh, few months without any doubt. Yeah, so we did, we did post a um, video for our May updates, um, yep. just a little bit of information on the Australian market. Um, but we're going to talk today about our portfolios, our global view, um, and how we're positioned here at Coffin Bond, um, and some of the moves we've made. But touching on a few of those um, things come from the video, I guess, for the Australian markets, you know, hopes did grow in May, and markets did sort of rise with people, I guess, having a bit of hope that things are reopening a little bit. Mm, I'm still looking forward to going to the movies. Yeah. <laughs> I, got, I got to take you to University Cafe last Tuesday. That was so, nice. was... we were, Yeah, we were allowed four on a table. We were allowed six on a table, but there was eight of us, so we had to do two, two groups of four. But it, it was nice. It, it was good to have a carbonara, wasn't it? Yeah, it was nice to catch up and, and see people again. So but let's start. Um, I guess I'll, I'll hand it over to you here, but how have you seen the last three months in market performance? Um, and just the overall general worldview. <laughs> well, uh, if we go if we go back a few months, we've been uh, stating for quite some time that we thought certain sectors of the market were overheated, um, and as a result, we had very low to no allocation in property securities. Uh, so we started getting out of property securities quite some time ago, and our allocation was very low. And the reasoning behind that was because we saw a flood of money going to property securities uh, just prior to the last federal election. Um, and one of the reasons being, of course, was because uh, Shorten and co said they were going to scrap uh, the refund of imputation credits or franking credits to self-managed super funds. And a lot of self-managed super funds invest in the banks and Telstra, et cetera, with a view to getting good dividends and with a view to getting uh good franking credits and you know in some cases on a million dollar portfolio those franking credit refunds could be up to you know fifteen odd thousand dollars so that's a lot of income uh to get taken away from you so people were flooding to what was perceived security of what's commonly known as REITs, real estate investment trusts um and we did have some exposure to REITs uh, there for a while we pretty much lowered that to, uh, to zero quite simply because we thought it was overpriced and we thought there was a rush to it for the wrong reason. Now, in saying that we, and, and also too, you know, online sales were certainly starting to increase and things like that. I mean, even if you have a look just recently, Kogan shares are, you know, are more valuable nowadays than Maya or David Jones. And that, that's quite extraordinary. That's, and that's purely online. Uh, so, you know, good, good on Mr. Kogan. He's uh, done very well. He did purchase himself a $30 million house in Turak. So he's obviously done quite well for himself. He, young he is doing well. I remember the first being introduced that years ago and, um, yeah, cheap TVs. Well, I was going to say, didn't we buy a couple of TVs from him? <laughs> yeah, I'm sure we've got a Kogan TV sitting there. Oh, and I think, aren't our boardroom TVs from Kogan? Uh, I reckon it'd be something like that. You put them up. You're the Andy man. You're <laughs> Boyana. <laughs> so it's it amazing to see that transformation in online shopping and everyone, everyone's ordering online these days. Well, and I think that was one of the keys is that, you know, the only shopping centre I go to nowadays is Victoria Gardens and I go to the food court and then to the movies. Uh, and that was it. So I, I didn't go there for any other reason. And uh, Victoria Gardens is very small on the scale of shopping centres. There's certainly no Doncaster. Or, I, I definitely or, try to stay away from Judson. 
Oh yeah, so I, I haven't been to Chasden for oh, probably twelve, fifteen years. Wow. So it's um, but but in saying that, we we saw a shift in consumer sentiment, and we we saw a flood, as I said, to the REITs purely based on the income that they provide, not based on any other fundamental valuation, and that worried us. Now, on that basis, it, it's actually quite interesting because two sectors that have been smashed tremendously. Uh, people who run their own self-managed super fund portfolios are the ones who have copped it the most. And guess where those shares that have been smashed? The banks and REITs. So when you consider if people sold out of their bank stocks um, and, and you know, to go into the REITs or lowered their bank stocks to go into the REITs, the REITs portfolios have been absolutely hammered. You know, they're, they're down by around about 30%. Uh, but then, of course, the bank shares have been absolutely hammered. And then, you know, the banks have also uh, stated that they will be reducing, if not turning off dividends for the next 12 months. So those people who have self-managed super funds, they're going, who managed it themselves and had those, and thought, well, why do they need to use anyone? I can have 10 shares in these Australian shares. Basically, their portfolio, their million-dollar portfolio, might now only be worth around about eight hundred thousand or eight hundred and fifty thousand, you know, at the most, and they're going to have to sell down seventy to eighty thousand of that capital just to pay their income requirements for the year because their dividends are zero to negligible. So all of a sudden, the risk of them starting to run out of capital is is big. It, it's really, it really is all of a sudden something that's back on the table. So that uh, systematic risk that they never really accounted for. Now, we didn't necessarily think it was going to be a pandemic um, that was going to cause uh, ghost towns in Doncaster shopping centre, uh, or to have. Um, you know, bank shares tumble the way it is. But in saying that, we'd been saying for quite some time, as you know, that the market was actually overpriced anyway. So, and our allocation to the Australian market was very low based on on that reasoning that we did feel that the valuations in the market were quite heated. So, and even, even on some global scales, you know, we saw that too. So, is nothing we believed the market would come down we still had growth in the market because we didn't want to lose you know another potential 12 months of upside but in saying that when the market came down it didn't come down as heavy for us as what it did for some of those other managers couple parts of the portfolios that we did have to change when the market came down to pandemic and we made those changes and of course there were some opportunities that we also took as well yeah, so I guess markets have rallied recently. Um, how are we seeing things now? Well, it's it's interesting. Once again, is where do we think the markets are going? So we made a few changes in the portfolio. So as an example, we, you know, we have we have three different styles that we blend together in the portfolio. As you know, being dynamic, uh, which we have managed by Morningstar. Uh, we also have strategic, uh, which realistically is index and index approach. Yeah. Uh, in the index approach in different asset classes, not just the ASX 300 or the S&P 500. And then we also have a tactical approach is uh, just taking, you know, certain certain areas or certain sectors that we actually like. So, so what we actually did was we reduced our exposure to, well, actually virtually eliminated our exposure to the ASX uh, 300 index and as, as we know during a bull run index managers are great they're cheap and they just go up because you can throw a dart at a dartboard and it's going to go up but what's what's also happened here is as you know um, 
with the exception of my own portfolio just recently, buying a couple of very small stock, uh, just for me, not for clients. Uh, so they're, they're, they're what uh, Josh would call. <laughs> he, he, he never knew I gambled. <laughs> so, so, but in saying that though, one of the things that we realize out of this is when pe people who wanted to get involved in the next big thing, are the ones who are losing out out of this. So the old Warren, Warren Buffett statements of, it's not until the tide goes out that you can actually see who's swimming naked. This has exposed a lot of companies. So when you consider 70 to 80% of money goes into index funds, new money goes into index funds, or funds that kind of replicate the index, you know, they're not too far off the index. When you consider, if we take, for example, the S&P 500, if you take uh, people all of a sudden panicking and selling out of their index funds or industry funds going into a panic and having to sell out of, in, of uh, their index exposure as well because people were redeeming their funds, is does that mean that all the companies have lost value? So as an example, there's some companies that income is actually, or revenue has actually risen during this pandemic. So one example there, of course, is Kogan, uh, but other examples are things like Microsoft, Facebook, uh, Amazon. Kogan is just Amazon Junior. It's, it's <laughs> amazing the, the program we use every day, Microsoft Teams, up 700% in users. It dropped me more now since I last year. Yeah, well, if you, had, if you have a look at, you know, the amount of revenue that comes from sales of Apple iPods, you know, which I don't have. Oh, uh, <laughs> AirPods, you mean? AirPods, thank you, Jamie, because yeah, <laughs> I'm technically brilliant, as you're all aware. <laughs> so it's uh, AirPods, the things I don't use. Um, the basis, I mean, that could be in its own right, like the 10th largest company in the U.S., just in the sales, that can, the revenue that's generated from that. So when you have a look at what's gone on, there are good stock out there that actually hasn't dropped through this. And, and that's, that's one of the keys is that we've had exposure to what Morningstar call the wide moats. Uh, they've written a great book on it. And, and, and we follow that philosophy. So our exposure is to company, companies that, you know, the way I explain it is if you think that castle in the middle of a moat, the wider the moat, the harder it is to penetrate its earnings. So why did Microsoft and Apple and Amazon shares drop uh, during this period of time? Because people selling their index funds, not because their earnings were dropping. So as a result of that, we actually moved out of the ASX uh, index and actually bought the uh, beta shares ETF NASDAQ 100. Now, if you think of the NASDAQ 100, the top 10, top 10 stocks on there, uh, Microsoft, Apple, Amazon, Facebook, at top five stocks in our portfolio. But the top 10 stocks take up 52% of the index. So, and we're, we're not talking, you know, once upon a time, people used to think tech stocks were dangerous and they're risky. And in a lot of cases, they actually are. You know, maybe some of those potential small cap ones I bought in Australia just recently might be. <laughs> so it's... Uh, no, but I see you smiling there, Jamie. You are hoping that I lose it money on them, through, aren't you? It doesn't come through the podcast, does it? <laughs> so, but, um, but what I'm saying is, though, is that there's a lot of opportunity that's been done. And, you know, our, our partners in Morningstar have been magnificent and taken some opportunities here as well. They did that with uh, the FTSE, you know, in telecommunications, energy um, and utilities in regards to when Brexit was happening. So these are sectors that weren't actually going to necessarily drop. Uh, people are still going to be using their phones, whether Brexit happened or not. And of course, nothing like the Russians and the Saudis to decide to have a punch up in the schoolyard 
like a couple of primary school kids um, to see who could last the longest. Hmm, Saudi's one. Uh, so it's, um, but in saying that, you know, you have a look at oil prices, it was in negative territory at one stage. So buying into the energy sector, which we did through the dynamic asset allocation or Morningstar did, what a brilliant play. You know, so and on a long-term basis, you have a look at the oil price, your oil price will go up again. Um, and so when you have a look at the companies that have been bought in there, being your BPs, your Shells, um, et cetera, uh, Exxons, these are companies that do have more of a, um, a friendlier carbon footprint nowadays than maybe what they did in the 70s um, as well. So there is a lot of money being spent by these companies in R&D to keep a cleaner carbon footprint as well. So they're not the big old dirty oil companies that they used to be. Uh, so on, on that basis, I think that, you know, there are opportunities that come out of this. Our, our Morningstar, the reason why we partner with them, their dynamic asset allocation into looking at those individual opportunities has been great and it's been swift and it was a little bit too early. And then uh, they got into it a bit after as well. So the average price has been great. And, you know, our exposure to the NASDAQ has just absolutely boomed. Our wide moats exposure through Van Eck has absolutely boomed during this period. So our clients' portfolios have actually held up really well. In saying that, though, if there is a second wave, so Australia right now, I can't wait to have more carbonara and go to the movies. Yeah. Okay, so, but if there is a second wave of this pandemic, there could be a sell-off again within the markets. Yeah. There is, there is uh, as I said, there's a lot of companies that have been exposed that you have been you sort of question why did people think, you know, this company was worth $25 billion when it was making a $2 billion loss every year. You know, so you question those. Those are the companies now that are going to suffer the most. But in saying that, there could be a second wave drop uh, that could happen around about July time as globally, uh, things are starting to open up again. Yeah, yeah well, it was actually quite. It'll be actually quite interesting what happens over the next two weeks with the with the uh, global uh, protests and in some cases riots that have happened around the world. You know, I, I happily say that it was a protest in Melbourne and Sydney. There were no riots, thankfully. Um, but it's interesting that you had lockdown and then you had hundreds of thousands of people for a cause uh, being very close together. What will be interesting will come out of that over the next couple of weeks is do the, does the uh, coronavirus contagious actually start to rise again? If it doesn't, that's a great thing because it shows that the world has got it under control. And one of the things, as you know, I was bleating on about um, uh, right from the start is that every time somebody new catches it, it does get a bit weaker and a bit weaker and a bit weaker. So it'll be interesting to see whether we do have a new wave of the pandemic in the next few weeks based on the protests that have happened globally. Yep. Um, in saying that, if we don't, we are going to see obviously uh, things open up even more. Interesting quote that came from a, um, a physics professor client of ours last week. And he was quoting one of his friends who was a school teacher. He said, it's very, it's really quite interesting how I can teach 20 kids in a classroom, but if I die, only 10 of them can turn up to my funeral. <laughs> so it's, uh, but that aside, that's, that's me getting political. You're doing well. You're doing well. I was, but, but what I'm saying though, is if we don't have, and hopefully we don't, 
if we don't have a second outbreak. Um, and I think the protests over the weekend, again, or over the last week or so, are actually going to be a good test to see if we do have a second outbreak in the US, which obviously has been horrendously affected by this. Uh, and if we don't, that's actually a really good sign. The markets mightn't come tumbling down. But in saying that, the markets have recovered good in the US. Our emerging markets, our exposure to Japan, buying, buying cheap energy stock, uh, the telecommunications, some of the healthcare. Um, you know, even though, as you know, I was fending off more phone calls in the first week, where it was more about not what's happening to the market. Should I buy Qantas shares? And I just kept saying, no, no, no. <laughs> uh, so it's, and I still stand by that at the moment. But in saying that, it's... Um, what we have a look at is if there is a big second wave um, and deaths come from the second wave, we could see another market meltdown. In saying that, though, that's going to create opportunity. Uh, we haven't gone mad and transferred our clients' fixed interest into the markets. We're still holding on to fixed interest in cash and bonds. Uh, we've let uh, Morningstar do the dynamic work and they have done a very good job of it. So, and you know, we'll, we'll know even how good a job in the next year or two. Yep. Then what I think what you'll see is probably during, whilst we start to have a recovery, you know, we've got, I think 2.7 million Australians lost their jobs or had reduced working hours during the last three months. See how many of them get re-employed, uh, especially when uh, the uh, job keeper stops. Yep. So how many of them are going to get re-employed or just going to be say, sorry guys, there's no work for you. Um, and then the next, the next factor is then we'll go into a recession, but every great bull run starts from a recession. Uh, there will be a recession. Well, we are in recession in Australia, whether we like to admit it or not. Um, and there certainly are in the US as well. I think China and the emerging markets are really going to, you know, win out of this in, a, in their markets in a, in a, in a really strong way. And then realistically, we'll probably have about a three to four year bull run. And then I reckon if that continues, to have such an I return rather than a sort of hockey stick J curve or even a U return on the markets, we could end up facing a catastrophic financial event like the GFC sometime within the next four or five years. Um, and that's just where euphoria is back in the markets. Interest rates are really cheap. It's really cheap to borrow money. Everyone just thinks this will never end. This will never end. And of course it does. Um, and then we'll have that catastrophic event again. And, you know, um, I'm hoping, fingers crossed, we do the things that we always do and we're in a position we get ready for it early and then when it happens, we've got the cash to buy back in. So these events do create opportunities in all, in awesome companies that earnings haven't don't really drop in value. So there's my synopsis of what could happen over the next six weeks um, and what might happen over the next five years as well. Fantastic. And I still won't buy any hard assets. <laughs> Tony, no mortgages, no mezzanine finance, no hard assets. Tony, I appreciate that. And um, we discussed today and what we're going to see in the future with these podcasts is once a quarter, actually having all three advisors on, you, Paul and Matt, um, yep. and giving a rundown together of, of the way the portfolios are set and the way that you view the markets as a, as a team at Kofkin Bond um, and for all our clients across the board. Wonderful. Thank you, Jamie. Tony, thank you. Thanks. Bye.